Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, today's episode of Gut Plus Science Healthcare is on a real issue that needs addressed, bullying at work and particularly in the healthcare industry. My guest today is convicted to the mission of eradicating bullying in healthcare, and she's a true expert on this niche topic. Renee Thompson from Healthy Workforce Institute is coming right up. Okay, Renee, let's kick off with some stats and facts around this problem of bullying in the workplace. When I think about statistics and we look at the the studies that are out there right now showing the negative impact bullying and incivility have, there are a plethora of studies. But some of the statistics that really, uh, I think, stand out, there was a study that was done by Johns Hopkins not too long ago that showed 71% of physicians and nurses have linked incivility to medical error. And 27% of them said it led to a patient's death. They also showed that 99% of physicians and nurses believe that bad behavior leads to poor patient outcomes. And if you're in a leadership role and retention of your nurses is really important, 81% of nurses who leave an organization cite some type of peer or nurse manager relations as the cause for leaving. So it's a significant problem that not only impacts patients, but it impacts your employees as well. What's the difference between bullying and incivility? It is the the number one question that either people ask me or I make sure when I'm speaking to a large group, especially of leaders, I make sure that they understand because not everything is bullying. I hear this all the time. She's such a bully or we have a huge bullying problem here. And that's not always the case. So if you look at what bullying is and what bullying is not, for a behavior to be considered bullying, there has to be three things. First of all, there has to be a target. It could be one person or it could be a small group of people. I work the night shift and I hate all you day shift people or vice versa. Or I'm an older experienced nurse and I don't like any of you new nurses. But there has to be a target. The second criteria is the behavior has to be harmful in some way. And let's face it, Nikki, if I rolled my eyes at you, is that harmful to you? When you really think about it, is eye rolling by itself harmful? The answer is no. It's not nice. It's disrespectful. But it's not harmful. But if you're following me and I'm giving you report on a patient and I deliberately leave out an important piece of information, now who is that harmful to? Or if you ask me for help and I say, go look it up. I'm not your mother. Who is that harmful to? That's harmful to patients. So we're looking for harm. And the third criteria is that the behavior has to be repeated over time. It can't be one time I get testy with you and I'm in a crisis situation. It has to be repeated. And some of the other experts, they say that for behavior to be considered bullying, it has to be repeated for a six-month period of time. I disagree with that. I believe that you can identify it as bullying if it's been repeated, the behavior is harmful within a few weeks. Okay, But the key is it can't just be one time. Now, that's bullying. 
Here's what incivility is. It's the lower level behaviors that we see, people who are inconsiderate, who are rude. It's the gossiping. It's the eye rolling. It's that I help the people I like. I don't help the people I don't like. It's the exclusion. It's all of those things that when when people talk about behaviors, what I find many times, it's not truly bullying, it's incivility. So I do a lot of what I call deep dives in organizations. I go in, I pull back the covers, and I lift up the gown, and I see what's really happening at, at the ground level. And what I find, Nikki, is not a lot of bullying at all. I mean, it's there, but what I find is a, a, a lot more incivility. Now, there's good and bad news with that. If you can actually show that somebody's bullying someone else, target, harmful, repeated, that's easier to address. You probably have some type of policy about that, but incivility, not as easy because incivility is culture and it's much harder to change culture. And that's actually what we do is help change culture. I'm curious, how did you become so passionate about this topic and convicted to your mission? So I've been a nurse for almost 30 years. And I always say I've done everything you can do as a nurse, pretty much. And you know what? It didn't matter what role I had. It didn't matter what organization I was in, what department I was working in. There was always one, two, three people who I swear made it their mission to squash me, to set me up to fail, to make me look bad. And you know, this was as a brand new nurse, as a new educator. When I went from one hospital as an educator to another hospital, and even at the corporate level, and it was when I was working in a corporate job for a very large health system in uh, Western Pennsylvania, and I was basically responsible for professional development for the 10,000 nurses that worked there. And I was building a lot of programs. I did a lot of focus groups. And all the nurses wanted to talk about was how poorly the other nurses treated them. And Nikki, it reminded me of my own experiences. And finally, I just said, enough is enough. Nurses can be so caring and compassionate to their patients, but so cruel to each other. And I decided I had to do something. I had to put my stake in the ground and say, we need to do better. And a lot of it involves equipping our leaders to address disruptive behaviors. But it's all of us. It's not any one of us. Even you know, we're talking about nurses right now, but it's physicians, it's respiratory therapists, it's your unit secretaries, it's it's everyone. Renee, how does bullying typically show up in healthcare settings? Now, I've mentioned a few of them, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you some other examples. Some of the most common ways, because I do these assessments all over the country, talk to thousands and thousands of people, and What I'm thinking right now is if, say, you're in acute care organization, although this also shows up too in ambulatory care, it's not just the acute care environment, but we see a lot of uneven workload based on favoritism. And here's an example, charge nurses. So if anybody in your department is responsible for assigning patient care, be very mindful of who that person is. They're usually a coordinator role, a charge role, somebody who's the lead for that day But a very common way bad behavior shows up is that they give the easy assignments to their friends and the worst assignments to the nurses that they don't like. 
I have seen this time and time again. So it's something to be mindful of. Be careful who you put in those informal leadership roles and make sure that they are the right people. They may be really skilled at what they do, but you also have to make sure that they're a professional role model because that shows up constantly. We also see, I mentioned it, exclusion. Everybody gets invited somewhere except for you. Or let's say you're um, in a leadership role and everybody gets invited to the meeting, but somehow your name didn't show up on the, the email distribution list. And now you're in trouble with your boss because you were supposed to present something. You know, you exclude someone and then you sabotage them. We see also a lot of micromanaging and open criticism and arguing and blaming, especially even in patient care areas. So something that we see a lot of, which is somewhat disturbing, is a lot of arguing, yelling, cursing, blaming in patient care areas. And I want you to think about from a patient's experience, hearing their healthcare professionals having almost a knockdown drag out fight in the middle of the hallway. But imagine being on the receiving end of that from one person time and time again. Nikki, I remember when I was a new nurse, giving report to some of the older nurses, it was an anxiety provoking, you know, situation. There were certain nurses that I was petrified to give report to because I knew that they would nitpick me to death, find something that I did wrong so that they can use that as an excuse to criticize me. But then there's other things like silent treatment. I've had nurses share with me, they've walked up to a nurse to ask for help about a patient and that nurse completely turns around and walks away, doesn't say a word. And again, I think always about the impact to patients when we see this. Let's start talking solution. So what proactive measures should leaders be taking to prevent bullying? Leaders, I think, have the ultimate responsibility. It's their burden. I you know, look at it because when, when I was a frontline leader, I had a department that was, um, I don't use this word very often, but it was toxic. And I stepped into this as a new leader and had no idea how to address the toxic behaviors of my employees. So I really shifted and focused on what do leaders need to do to make sure that they're um, addressing workplace bullying and incivility so that they can cultivate a more professional and respectful workforce culture. One of the things that I would focus on is making sure that you hire the right people because once you get them in the door, it's sometimes hard to get them out. So make sure that you have a hiring process that includes looking at candidates for behavior. Hire for behavior, not necessarily skills, because I don't care how great you look on paper. If you're not a nice person, because you know, this is what I had a manager who would say this look, I can teach you to be a neuro nurse. I can teach you, you know, what you need to do to be successful here. But if, and this is what she would say, but if God and your mother didn't teach you how to be a nice person, I don't want you here. And that's the attitude I want all leaders to have. Kindness isn't optional here. It's part of the job requirement. And there are a lot of ways that you can ask questions to determine attitude, behavior, how well they interact as colleagues with other people. And some of that might involve shadowing and some of that might involve, you know, staff interviews. 
but hire slowly. And the second thing as a compliment to that is, sorry, but fire fast. In general, leaders are not confronting disruptive behaviors. And Nikki, it's because they don't know how. And once you learn some of the skills and tools that you need to actually confront disruptive behaviors and set behavioral expectations, if you have an employee, independent of how clinically good they are, if they're behaving in a way that's destructive, you need to work very strong. You know, you need to develop a partnership with your HR representative and therapeutically extract that person. One of the other things to prevent bullying and incivility is really it's about heightening awareness of behaviors that truly undermine a culture of safety and respect. So it's always including professional conduct in your staff meetings, in your huddles, when you have a one-on-one conversation with your employees. It's always talking about behavior, not just clinical practice. It's including behavior as an equal component to being successful in that organization. And it's, you know, setting those behavioral expectations and and confronting people when they behave in a way that's unprofessional and disrespectful. I am famous, and and these are not my words, other people's words, for the scripting that I give leaders to be able to say to an employee, look, this is what I just heard. I'm not sure it's true, but we're going to have a conversation just in case it is. Because a lot of times leaders say, well, I don't don't know if it's true. And I have to do this investigation before I can even have a conversation with that person. I'm like, no, you don't. Just say to the person, this is what I heard. I don't know if it's true. But we're going to talk about it in case it is. It's just addressing the behaviors in the moment or as soon as you hear about them happening. So Renee, you've worked in many different healthcare settings for quite some time. Share the blinders that you typically see leaders have on this topic or this problem. Well, there are uh, several main blinders, uh, especially from a leadership perspective. But I'm going to start from uh, everybody who's working in healthcare perspective. The biggest blinder is the fact that we've normalized bad behaviors for so long that we fail to recognize them as abnormal. When And you know that this is a problem in your organization or even in your department when you hear people say, well, that's just the way she is. Don't take anything she says personally, or you're going to need to grow a thick skin if you're going to want to survive here. We have normalized behaviors for such a long time that we just justify them all and we fail to even recognize them. I had a a leader who was enrolled in one of my online courses and after she finished the course, it was a really thoughtful, honest evaluation that she gave me, she said, I have to be honest, at first, I didn't want to take this class. I thought we don't have any bullying here. Why am I being forced to take this? Okay, because it was her executive that, you know, put a group together. She said, wow, did I catch myself? She said, I have normalized these behaviors for so long that I realized I was part of the problem. How many times did I then catch myself saying, well, that's just the way he is. She said, no more, because we do, we, we normalize the behaviors. Another big blinder is that we accept bad behavior from certain people because they're really good at what they do. I mean, let's face it. How many times have you heard somebody say, you know, he's a great nurse, but, or she's a great physician, but there should be no buts here. 
for you to be great, you have to be both clinically excellent at what you do and you have to be a professional role model. And we tend to justify people's bad behaviors because they're a great clinician. I've talked to so many leaders who avoid confronting their quote unquote best employee. And, and that it's a huge problem. And I'd say overall, the, the third and, and final one that I'll share with you today is that we're so risk averse. We're afraid to hold anybody accountable. We're afraid to put somebody on corrective action or therapeutically extract them because what if they come back and sue us? Earlier, we talked about proactive measures when we were starting down the solution path. Now, how do we equip managers and leaders of any kind to address the problems when the indicators of bullying are there? How do you help them step into that? When I first started this company, I my primary focus was on nurses, nurse to nurse, because that's where I was hearing that there were so many problems reminding me of, of my own issues. But then after I really got into this, I realized that I can help those nurses but I can help more of them if I make sure those leaders are equipped. What I have learned is that overall, I haven't found one organization that does a good job equipping their leaders with the skills and tools that they need to set behavioral expectations and hold their people accountable. It's a skill that can be learned. So when a leader comes into an organization or they were a staff nurse and now they're in a leadership role, what do we teach them? We teach them how to do the budget and the payroll and all the audits and all the regulatory requirements, but we don't teach them how to confront, how to actually get involved in some type of, you know, again, conflict resolution, how to deal with the he said, she said, and that's what they need to learn. And, and that's what we focus on is making sure that they have the practical skills, say this, do that. This is how you document, even documenting. Oh, gosh, Nikki, the, the documentation that I've seen from leaders, if there's documentation to then try to hold somebody accountable, it's no wonder that they're having a hard time holding people accountable because the documentation isn't done well, but it's, it's not their fault. Nobody's teaching them how to do this. And that's a general statement, but it's really making sure that they have the skill set that they need. And it's ongoing. You just can't bring a group of people in to a, a half-day workshop and check a checkbox and say, okay, they know how to deal with this all. Because as you know, human behavior is extremely complex. And so it's building upon the skill sets every day, every week, every month ongoing. What are the barriers that you see to addressing disruptive behaviors of any kind? Some of the most significant barriers really do involve that disconnect between the leader and their HR partner. And I'll give you an example that I've heard the same scenario played out so many times. Uh, a leader tells me, you know what? I finally decided I was going to do something about my problem employee that I was, you know, going to put them on corrective action or I'm going to terminate them. I've had enough. And I go to human resources and my human resource representative says, uh-uh-uh, well, did you document? Um, did you counsel this person? Well, how many times did you counsel this person? Five times? Oh, you have to counsel them 15 times before we can do anything. And they'll tell me, I hit a brick wall when I go to HR. Well, guess what, Nikki? I have talked to so many people in an HR role who have shared their side of the story. 
they'll say, okay, I have a manager who kind of barges into my office, demands that I approve a termination. I've never heard of this employee, never heard that there was a problem with this employee. There's no documentation or just something written on a piece of paper that doesn't even have a date on it. And when I look at this employee's performance reviews, I see meets or exceeds expectations 15 years in a row. And they want me to approve a termination. This goes back to what I said before. HR tends to be more so risk averse. But then again, knowing that, you can understand why. You have to build a relationship, a stronger partnership between the leaders and their HR representatives so that you know you can start early in the process. Like, hey, heads up. This is the third time I've had a conversation with this employee about this behavior. Just wanted to let you know. Like, So we're always talking about how to give HR a heads up. But in my opinion, it's um, one of the top barriers is that um, leaders may want to hold an employee accountable and may feel that HR doesn't support that decision. And there are ways, like I said, to decrease that. And then, as I mentioned before, it's really hard to hold somebody accountable to the point of termination when they're clinically excellent. It's a huge barrier because let's say you're in a department where it's you only have one experienced employee. Everybody else is new and that experienced employee is the toxic person. And you have to what you're going to let that person go or we're in the middle of a nursing shortage. OK, and. You know, you lose one person, guess who's going to staff your unit? It might be you. That's what happened to me. That's why I hung on to people that I knew were not professional and were part of the problem. But if I let them go, that meant I had to staff. So, yeah, it's not an easy solution, but there are things that you can do. Renee, this was so full. (laughs) We'll have some of this in the show notes so you guys can reflect on that. We're going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsor message today, and come back to our lightning round where we'll get to learn just a little bit more about you. We'll be right back. So in our efforts to launch this healthcare sub-series on Gut Plus Science, my why is Wambi. Wambi specializes in serving the industry that needs the most support, love, and gratitude, and that's healthcare. Together with Wambi, we will be building a community of people-first healthcare leaders and influencers to make a big, positive impact on patient satisfaction and overall experience of patients and families, and also engagement of the very valuable healthcare workers in this world. So visit Wambi.org to learn more and hit me up. If you want to talk about the cool partnerships we're working on at Wambi, Nikki and I, K-K-I at Wambi, W-A-M-B-I.org. It'll be in the show notes too. And I am so grateful to be part of this team and part of this movement. Many cool things to come. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science with Renee Thompson, and she just crushed this topic on workplace bullying and how to eradicate it. Such a loaded episode. Thank you so much for your passion and everything that you've shared, Renee. We're going to ask just a couple questions that we do on every episode. So my first question, what is your favorite book of all time or a one that you'd pick to recommend to our leader listener audience today? I am an avid book reader. Uh, It's one of my superpowers and how I got to be, I would say, um, so knowledgeable about dealing with human behavior because I study and have been studying human behavior for decades. But I'd have to say a book that made a huge difference in my life as a a healthcare leader was the book uh, titled Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. It was 
I, like I could not stop reading it. It was so impactful and powerful, especially as a healthcare leader. And I think the leaders who are listening to this, if you haven't read this, I would absolutely get that book. What is your favorite vacation spot, Renee? Well, I would say it's anywhere where my grandbaby is. I love Italy and I love the Amalfi Coast and I've been there a few times. And it's when I think about if I could go anywhere on a vacation right now, where would it be? It would be Italy. What is your favorite hobby when you're not working? Well, uh, I love entertaining. I love having people over. I'm actually a really good cook. I always say I should weigh 500 pounds for the way I like to cook and eat really good food. Thank goodness I don't. Uh, But I love to entertain, have people over, and love to play games. And Renee, how can our listeners connect with you after the show today? Well, the the best way um, is just to go to my website. It's healthyworkforceinstitute.com, and it's Healthy Workforce Institute, not Healthy Workplace. Some people will go, I can't find it. It's healthyworkforceinstitute.com. And there you can find uh, all of my social media platforms. You can take a look at our online academy that we have, and we also have some really great resources there. There's a brand new resource that we just put together that's on my homepage just for healthcare leaders. It's eight ways to stop unprofessional conduct, and it has a lot of those scripts that I was talking about. So if you just scroll down the page, you'll see that, and you can get that for free. Renee, thank you for sharing all of your wonderful expertise. This is a tough topic that we haven't heard much of on this show. Here's my truth you can act on today. Number one, know what bullying is. It has to be three things. There has to be a target. The behavior has to be harmful and the behavior has to be repeated over time. Number two, leaders need to be equipped proactively and reactively on how to handle bullying. So what training do you have in place? And when I say leaders, it's really managers of all levels. And number three, And just a great reminder, hire slow, fire fast. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.